Well, I think we learned that we're both adaptable, which is good. Yeah, that might be true. <laughs> In certain areas, I assume. Yeah. yeah. Flexibility is great, but then sometimes you need to take a stand about things and not be and be immovable. So it's it's all about choice. Where are you going to stand? I agree with you. Hey, I got to tell you, this is for me. I don't get starstruck very often. Um, <laughs> I've met a lot of people. and um, But for me, this is very exciting because I've heard your name several times, and including recently. I, um, I've just heard your name a few times, either people that used to work with you or still work with you. And um, I'm excited. It sounds like we have similar philosophies in the way that we coach. And um, I'm even more excited because it's really clear to me based on what others are saying that you have a real interest in helping and um, not telling people how that help needs to come, but just helping them help themselves. And I love that. Not quite. No, oh. correct me. Uh, no, you're doing fine. Uh, help, everything occurs as a polarity. So when I, you say you help people, it might mean indirectly they're helpless, they need help. So I don't quite help people because I, I don't think they're helpless. I, um, I think they just need some uh, expansion of their courage. They need to be clear about where they're going. They need to diminish self-doubt because it's always there. It's just not going to go away. And resolution to that is not uh, running away from it. Um, so there's things that I do that have them be more able and more effective and more courageous and more conscious that I don't help them because I, I can be a tough on people if they start to go away from what they really need to face. <laughs> don't go there. So I'm, yeah, I'm in people's, you know, right eye to eye with them. Yeah. So tell me what you, you're up to. I mean, when I started coaching, <clears throat> there were dinosaurs probably, but when I started coaching, the, uh, there was no such thing as coaching. I was in the first coaching program in 1987 with uh, five sport coaches. And I paid uh, 15, a lot of money for this experience. 61 of us were in this room for a week and they were explaining their view of what coaching really was. And I thought, wow, I, it, it just touched me in a way that I thought would be a great way to look at what I wanted to do. This what organization was that? Say again? What organization was that that you were? I was with a, I was with a group called Technico. Okay. And, uh, Jim Selman was the CEO, and uh, I have a video that I still have from that time when I, uh, and uh, it was it was a, a remarkable experience to be with people who won championships in four arenas, um, and uh, but there was no coaching program certified. The coaching, whatever this stuff is now, it was the uh, birth of it. Yeah, and I'm familiar with Jim's Yeah. Okay. What do you want to talk about? 
Um, well, I just, I would love to just talk to you more about what you've done. So it sounds like you started in coaching um, back in 1987 and kind of how that led to dentistry or how you integrated that into dentistry and what you're doing now. Wow. Uh, one of my teachers was <clears throat> said, if you see your steps clearly on the path, it's the wrong path. So I went, oh, okay. So I was, the, the background context was I'm from a, a middle-class Jewish family where becoming a professional was critically important. And I had a lot of first-generation post-World War II in the mix. So I didn't have much, uh, the, lane, the lanes were really narrow for me as a kid. And I uh, eventually went to dental school and then eventually succeeded in dental school uh, in such a way that I thought I would be into research. So I did some papers and as an undergraduate, which got me an NIH fellow to uh, University of Washington and their Perio program. So I completed both of those programs and then the Vietnam War was not quite complete. So I signed up early and had to go in and had two years of learning my craft as a periodontist and came back to Bellevue, Washington and bought a practice from a remarkable human being who I loved dearly. And he was just, he was, he was like a brother and like a father. Um, and then I practiced for a while, 11 years and uh, did the whole thing, the whole schmear. Did the circuit on uh, tooth position and periodontal disease, and you know, made my mark and thought. But there was just the moment that I started. It was the '70s, and I started to um, explore other domains of knowledge, because doing dentistry at that point was pretty like uh, falling off a lock. You, you were going to make money at it. You were going to do it. It was all fee for service. It was this is perfect. Um, <clears throat> Yeah. And so I started to do work on this whole domain of transformation and self-consciousness and, and followed Ram Das and did ask to do a lot of stuff at that point in time and found that incredibly intriguing because I got to know myself and why I do the things I do and see them before I do them so I can make a choice about it, which I didn't have previously. So I was enamored by that whole technology of giving people an ability to see before they do. And then, do you want to do that? And what's the outcome that's going to happen from that? So I uh, worked for one of these companies for a while and is a volunteer and led their courses and learned their models. And that brought me to learning, meeting other consultants. And I told you about the company that I was with that brought in the coaches. And then I, I was outsourced because I had some talent in communication between parties. And I also had this transformational work that, that I had pretty well down. So I got to work in GE Capital. I got to work in Boeing. I got to work for Intel. I got, it's like, oh, there's a whole world here that I began to, I, I got more from my clients than I ever gave them. Still do, by the way. There, you know. But I really learned a lot about organizational consulting, which drifted me into working in a whole with a group that worked with hospital and hospital systems. So I got into the whole medical care and had hospitals on my lines. 
the, the funny part was um, <laughs> I was down at the director level doing communication work and that was wonderful. I, good, good people uh, and nurses and, you know, and some physicians, primary care. But then uh, there was a snowstorm and there was a big event that was occurred with the executive team and my account executive couldn't come up. And I had to go lead this budget conversation between all the departments and they kill each other usually over budgets. And I came in and I walked out at three o'clock and it was done and people were happy. And I and my, called my account executive and he goes, okay. <clears throat> I want you to go in and I want you to review the contract because this is time. And since you got the job done, they're on a high, go do that. And I said, okay, how much? He said, well, I think it's going to be uh, $442,000 for this contract for next year. The most I ever asked for as a dental consultant was $3,000. So I, I, I just saw who I was at the moment, was unable to see myself as someone that could ask for that much money. I saw who I had made myself to be, and that changed my direction. That gave me a choice. That's kind of the kind of work I do. I just described on myself. You get to see the gap between the chasm between who you want to be and who you are, and see if you can close that gap and how to do that. So that pretty well defines my work. That's what I do with people. Is you know, come on, man, let's, let's go. Let's figure out why we can't and stop making excuses. So I, I think there's a kind of way that I coach that is pretty um, rigorous. And, I, but I love people. So I, you know, I call it ruthless compassion. I mean, you know, that's who I am. That's I. You, you work with me, you get, we get it done. You can call me on my stuff too, by the way. And let's see what you have to do and stop thinking around here. Um, so I move people forward in areas that are discomforting. Many times it's personal, it's at the, in the relationship area where they're just not managing it well. So it's interfering with their view of how they can go into the future. So you got to clean up some messes in a while, but you need to do that anyway. So oh, okay. what, do you, what would you say led you to be interested in this type of work? Because it sounds like you already had a really good thing going. Did you just stumble across that work or how did you become exposed to or what happened in your life to lead you to self-expose to this type of? Um, I think, you know, how things happen all at once. Yeah. Okay. So I had a very good friend, his name was Gene Chickenell, and he was a dentist in downtown Seattle, and we would hang out together. Um, and it was the 60s, so you can fill in any blank, it went to 70s it's around that area. And we were hanging out together, and he just said, man, there's sometimes I just can't stand you. You need to go do the S training, because you really need to stop it. And I thought, well, so, you know, and I... <clears throat> People talk straight to me. I, I listen differently. And Gene was a good friend. He loved me. And so I, I resisted, of course. Come on, I don't need that shit. That's, that's what is this? And, and then another friend of mine, Barry Rochford, said, you need to do this. And then pretty soon, you know, my small, intimate community was saying, you need to do this. And so I did it. And then I was in the middle of the room. There was my trainer at that time was Neil Mahoney, 
PhD, good guy. And I watched how 220 people's lives turned around, including my own. I said, that would be a worthy place to spend my time rather than becoming a doctor. So my mother could say my sons are doctors. <laughs> okay, let's go do that. And so I saw that, and then I, you know, everything's incremental. First, I did a seminar with them, and then I did a, another seminar, and then I took on a, a volunteer role, and then the volunteer, you know, then it became how I was seen inside of that organizational structure led me to hold that I could be that in the world. So it gave me something that was really dear to me. It was like, oh, well, they don't see me as a, they see me as this. I could be that. So that's how that happened for me. That answers your question, I believe, right? Yes, it does. Okay, so now where are we at now? So you've got clients still, I know, who speak dearly uh -huh. and um Tell me what you're doing. I'll tell you what I have. A, I deliver a coaching course to a small DSO owner, founder guys and gals um, because you need coaching as an expression in terms of your leadership. Uh, next year, which I can't believe I'm going to do, next year I'm going to do a leadership development program for these people, not for them, but for people how to develop leadership in others. They have to learn that skill set. And because uh, they're big enough that they can't, you know, they've built it up to where they're unable to fulfill the commitments that leadership has. They need leadership as a, a bigger expression than themselves. And <clears throat> that's how you grow a company. So I'm going to do that next year. That's one piece. And then, um, my other piece is I have uh, developed and designed and have now a strong interest in this whole thing called eldering. Um, I don't know how much time that we have for this. I can tell you backstories. I just want to make sure I'm okay. We're good. We're good, okay. So I'm at a Buddhist university called Naropa and I'm doing my sittings because at that moment in my life, I, the tenets of Buddhism really spoke to me. And I don't know why, they just kind of, oh, yeah, that makes sense to me. That feels right for me. And I scheduled my, uh, so I did a sitting with a, a master and it's quiet. You sit there for two days and you learn how to meditate and you, all the bullshit comes up and you deal with it. And he talks from a particular viewpoint of uh, uh, where I don't live, you know, I live in the United States and under all the stress and he's spiritually connected and it touches me in that regard. Um, and I schedule my plane and uh, to leave on that Sunday. And of course, when I look at my ticket, it says Monday. So, and I couldn't change my flight. So I'm walking around and uh, I walk by a room and there's a rabbi in this room. Now I'm Jewish by by genes, by my DNA, but I don't practice. It was all social stuff. And there's this rabbi with his, you know, the tall yarmulke and the full beard. And the, but he's not. It, he, he's talking about uh, older to elder, and it was enrapturing the way he spoke. Because some people, you know, are directly connected. You're. I have a distance to go. They're directly connected. And this guy was right, right there. 
And I fell in love with him when uh, he was running a thing called Older to Elder and uh, he needed seminar directors or to lead his stuff. And I trained to do that. So I got into, and he wrote a book, Older to Elder. Um, and I worked with him for a couple of years delivering his work and, and saw uh, something really interesting and that helped me write the book, The Elder. And then I kind of put it aside and it was more hobby than business. But at this age now, what I have gained in becoming an elder is worth contributing to others because I wish how many elders are in the conversations that are important in this world? None. That's why there is war. And so I decided at my age, let me try to do something about this and see if I have the heart to get out there and you know have people push their way in in a certain way to have elder as part of the conversation because it's a conversation. I have experience also in a Native American tribe where I spend time with elders. So it's very, it's differently connected when you watch the space that an elder has and how they're listened and how they're held and how they're, their influences throughout and what they remind you of what's really important, not this, but this. And so they bring things to a, to a grounded place where people can actually see what's true. Now elders would be wonderful to have in this world, but we, in our culture, it's youth oriented, get them out, go marginalize them. We'll see, we'll see, I'm up to something here. So I'm building a company around that at my age. That's what I'm doing. It's called the, the Contemporary Elder Institute. And we're on, on our way. We have a retreat that's coming up uh, in October. <laughs> so my wife is a brilliant consultant and I steal her stuff like crazy because <laughs> it's perfect for me. So she has Nike and Under Armour and you, you name it. it She's, she's flying all over the place. It's so perfect. She steals free though. So it, it, it's an equal transaction value for value. Um, but she always talks about her Venn diagrams. And so when I look at mm, who an elder is and I put together my Venn diagram, that's my retreat. You have the uh, metaphysical, who, who am I as I get older and how am I gonna deal with all that shit that comes with that? So you have to confront and do and really start to engage in that. And then the other is spiritual. I mean, our, our, I don't know how you're gonna go out, but I know how I wanna go out. And so that intimacy with the horizon is right here for me in many ways. My heroes are dying. Then you know, Bruce Willis and those guys, that means something to me that it may not mean to you. It's just like, I grew up with these people. And then if you buy work uh, and relationships on the, on the Pueblo, um, they uh, have a relationship with earth that is really touching and spiritual. And we don't, we just throw shit on the street. And so that it's, <clears throat> there's something about what an elder brings to that whole conversation about a relationship with the physical. And then there's the somatic experience, you know, uh, most dentists by the time they're in their 60s are gonna be crippled to some degree, back, neck, shoulder, 
now I have them, they're my clients, so I've grown up with them. So they're, you know, they're, they're trying to figure it out. They've all had something go wrong. It's physically, so we want to bring a particular <clears throat> restorative yoga to people who are trying to unburden themselves from all that years of trying to do something. And so we're having, uh, at this retreat, we're having yoga and meditation. So we, when you put all those pieces together, you have this little thing in the middle, and that's the, that's the contemporary elder. And so I am so excited about that right now. We have great people co-leading. You got to be 65, my dear. So unfortunately, you're, you'll have to wait. <laughs> yeah, so well, I'm the eldering, and we're, we're doing good stuff. I'm, I, and I just created another program uh, as we speak. I'm just finishing touches. But what happens in my realm, in the DSO world, if we look at dentistry, but this is true across the board, is these guys are 64, 65. They're looking forward to the end of their game. They found either an associate to buy and they're gone, or they're selling to a DSO and they're doing their two to three years and they're getting their money. And you know, it's, the, it's the routine. But I get them a year after they leave and it's not a good sight. They have no idea what the hell they're doing. And their wife is sick of them. And you know, where the husband is sick of them and get the hell out, do something. They tried volunteering and walking dogs and something's missing. And it's obvious to me when I look what's missing is they don't have a, a greater purpose. And so those who are ready to alter how their lives are being led by themselves, uh, it's time. It's time to go back into the game and try to make some difference out there. So <clears throat> having, uh, I believe the elder conversation will gain momentum. And if it does, it will have inertia. If it has inertia, it will impact. So that's what I'm up to. Yeah, I love that you said their lives that are being led by themselves. In your experience, is that a quick awakening or does that take some time? It depends on who's sitting in the skin. It depends on where they are. You know, if there's a, a, a big enough breakdown in their lives or the practice or their marriage, it doesn't matter. When there's a big enough breakdown, there's a wider opening for that transformation to occur. And, you know, usually there's just long-term suffering and pain and, oh, my God, and how am I going to do this? And I'm tired of doing it. It's the same complaint. The complaint in my world is a racket. It's what you used to get off the hook with. Come on, if you stop complaining, what do you want to do about it? And uh, but and so I know I think you've got a very tough job. And certainly drama never yields a, a good result. And. So your job is to, as a coach is really, you know, keep the drama down, what's going on, how's it working, tell me where they are, tell me what you've tried, tell me what hasn't worked. I, you know, I can't imagine any dentist who really wants, or a professional in dentistry who wants to expand their capacity on the performance wouldn't have a coach. Just as it's this like, well, I have a coach. I don't like him anymore, but he's <laughs> really good for me. He just does not let me off the hook at all about stuff, right? You know, because I, I have to be bigger than I think I am. And that's what a coach speaks to, you know? That's what a coach does. 
Now, circling back to your, your program for 65 plus, is this something that when you were younger, you were talking about, we need to integrate, you know, elders into the conversation and get their perspective. Is this something that as a younger person you would have valued, or is this something that you've come to learn to value? That's a great question. I don't know is the answer. I think I was pretty, you know, the attention, the ego, attention is always on itself and it's always fragile, afraid it's going to be found out. So I was really ego centric. I mean, you know, you go to dental school, you get into top grades, you do go out here, you, you do things that for that moment of recognition, uh, but most of the time it's the, the valley of the shadow. Um, so I was ego run. So I don't know if I would have even appreciated this conversation. Um, my, there are people that I speak to that are of that cohort now um, who respect what an elder has to say. But again, I'm presenting myself not as older. I'm presenting myself as an elder. And so they have a certain conversations I have with the generations, whatever Z's, whatever they are, generation Y's. Um, they have a whole contextual and cultural view of aging and old people. And that's what they hold is true, but they don't question it. It just comes with the territory. So we have conversation about what is aging mean to them? What does older mean to them? What do they really think about people on the street walking down who, you know, I'm one of those now. I'm the guy with a cat and a little dog and a white beard. It's perfect. You know, but but if you look at those years that you go through to try to be successful and all the suffering and pain that come with it in terms of sacrifice and all of that, it doesn't need to be that way at that degree. And they just don't have that capacity to have that influence diminish those things that are so strong in their life. And mm, that's what elders bring. It's like, oh, you know, grandparents, oh, just come on, let's go out and play. Let's go out and do <laughs> that, not worry about this. Yeah. My father had some great expressions that I still use. It says, that should be your worst problem. It's like, oh, yeah, I forgot. I'm buying a floating home for a little. That's a long story, but I'm buying one. It's closing today. And I'm okay. all pins and needles and um, weirded out by certain people and all the requests that are flying around. And will the money transfer? And I have contractors. And it's like, oh my God, what did I get myself into? And then I just remember I have other capacities that are developed where I can oh, dampen that whole. Mm, that I can get the, the flat line as opposed to the, this. And I have that skill set now. To, oh, here it is again. I'm not going to go there I because I've been there before. It always works out. Or it doesn't, and then I figure it out. So here we go. Calm down. Do your thing. Uh, <clears throat> so I'm able to uh, modulate myself much greater with this capacity. And I think that could be contributed to some of these conversations. Let me give you your example. Uh, There is a complaint by the same owner dentist 
about this person who has got all the talent set in the world, but she's a pain in the ass. Okay, and you please handle this for me. And then you say, okay, why don't you go talk to her? And you go through the whole simulation and you know what blah, 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 and how to do that. And then he comes back and the complaint's still there. And then you do your thing again and it's still there. And then pretty soon, because <clears throat> at some point you have to be able to call them on it. It's like, well, you know, I always tell one of myself, I've been married uh, 38 years, 40 years, just different people. So I have learned my lesson that the only one constant in all of these relationships was me. So if you can move the person to be responsible, what I call sourceful, in a way that allows them to see that they're, they're the ones creating this situation, and they're just don't want to take responsibility for it. You know, that's a that's a tough one to do, but that's what coaches do. So that's a, that's another thing to, oh, how do you do that one with people who are signing checks for me? That's not an easy one to do. How long have you been doing coaching, this this thing for you? Um, in this industry, um, a little under 10 years in total, almost. Uh, 18, so almost 20. Great. Oh, yeah. Good for you. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. you know, so you're, you're speaking my language. When I was in high school, um, I elected to work at a convalescent home, which I actually got fired from because they said I was taking too long in the rooms. And the reason I was taking so long is I was getting to know them. And I would ask them questions like, what is the most important thing that you've learned? Or if you could share one piece of advice with me, what would it be? What is, you know, just getting perspective. And I don't feel like I, my grandmother was my best friend. So I don't feel like I ever suffered from the um, separation of, I need to communicate and interact with people who look my age and talk my age. That wasn't appealing to me. I wanted to know more like you very attracted to expand my mind, expand my thinking. Cause I know this can't be it this can't be all there is, you know? And so I've always been very drawn to this type of work. So my thoughts, when you're describing this program, you're developing when, so you're going to develop the elders, you have to be 65 or more, but then how do we integrate that into, there is a group of middle-class people who don't want the second round of drama. I don't, I, okay. I've got a plan <laughs> to say you know, so I'm looking more into the ranks of corporate and DSO hood than smaller practices, two or three units, maybe five. But, you know, people who are exiting, I use the word departing. Departing <laughs> is different than retiring. If you look up the word departing, it means to take action to do something new. That's what it means to do something different. So I'm changing the vocabulary from retiring to departing. That's the first thing. So if you have an employee who's been there mm, 10 years and made you successful and they're departing, what do you want to do for them? As opposed to he's retiring. It's like he's done. So changing the context is really the, the, the first thing to get done. They have wisdom. They've been there years they have something to contribute back into it mm -hmm. so if it's done right they would participate in a very unique way within a corporate structure 
particularly in those areas that things need to get done, but they have to be elders, not just older. They have to be trained to be elders, to be able to hear in a certain way and speak in a certain way. Um, yeah. So that's how I envision it, is just to contribute back into the eldering conversation, the hardest thing to do for all of us, but really those in 65 and older, is begin to confront your own death. Because we don't, it's seen as the end, not as a process moving forward into something. So we have a certain view that um, it is only, you can stage it differently. I'll say it that way. So we have people who work in the Zen hospice that we have talked to. We have people that are worked at the Ram Das uh, work environment. Yeah, so we're, we think that there is something else available to, it. Mm, you're not going to, you can't stop it, but you can change your relationship to it. And if you can do that, then you can live life. Life has more meaning when you say, oh, you know what? <clears throat> I, so I, I'll give you an example. I came in, uh, it hardly snows in Portland. But I came in one day and there was a snow. I was walking my little pup. And I realized, you know, this could be my last snowstorm. And boy, I enjoyed those snowflakes. And it, a whole deal was, oh, okay. Now, what if that were available to people in a different way than the future, the, the anxious future that they live into? What about that? Yeah. That is so amazing. And, you know, I think one of the things that I take away from these conversations is that when you're open to hearing other perspectives and you're open to considering new ideas, because I do believe that is a skill to be able to entertain an idea that you didn't come up with or that didn't previously sit right with you. But when you can do that, you just open the doors to this whole new experience experience of designing your life. And I just love that that's so important to you. And it sounds like you've always been involved with surrounding yourself with people who will tell you truths, whether you want to hear them or not, or tell you perspectives that are worth considering, whether you want to hear them or not, and then employing people to tell you those things. And I love that. And I love that it wasn't just a gimme thing. It was something you were um, absorbing and now sharing in as many ways as you can <laughs> humanly possible to help other people have those rich quality experiences in their lives i uh, i tell people i have the don quixote uh, gene i go after the windmills and uh, <laughs> you know i just think there's something that's really freeing about aging and one is is that you don't give a shit mm -hmm. and you, know, you just be who you are and if they don't like it that's okay because you know what that's who you are um so there's a greater self-acceptance in this whole domain an elder stops proving him, himself or herself there's no need to do that anymore you do not show up in the eyes of others it's just like oh okay huh. i'm just who i am all right my dear often often leaving all right have a good day mark thank you you're welcome Bye-bye. I appreciate you joining me for today's episode. 
Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit dentallife.coach for access to additional coaching tools as well as more episodes to help you create the dental life you truly desire.